It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 139. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <laughs> uh, my, my turn for my summer travels. Yes, yes. And well, I had a, a little bit of traveling there as well. You may remember that in our previous break, I went down to Colorado and I spent some time with Randy, um, our previous co-host, now rare guest. Um, this last time, I actually had a, a quick trip down to Oregon and ended up having breakfast with Kay, our other uh, previous co-host, now rare guest. Yes. <laughs> to put it all into perspective. So what was your travels like? How'd you do? Uh, it was pretty good. It didn't really end, uh, didn't really expect to end up in the middle of the pandemic. We right. planned months ago to head down to uh, New Orleans and, and Florida. And uh, yeah, so I ended up in Florida during the last couple of weeks, but probably the worst place to be in the United States yeah. if you're trying to uh, avoid the plague. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was good, good, good time. I uh, got relaxation, nice places to stay. Um, no drama. It was uh so did you break. visit like any of the big touristy type things or did you oh, basically yeah. just stay away from people? No, I mean, well, you know, we're, we're, we didn't do anything where we were like, you know, meeting other people and stuff much, but we did, you know, in new Orleans, we did you know, walk around and see the touristy stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then in Florida, we did go to uh, the most touristy things that you could possibly go to in the entire world. Right. Uh, you know, the, the ones owned by the mouse. Yes. And uh, <laughs> the mouse um, who shall not be named, apparently. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, no. But, you know, we went to Disney and uh, Universal, too, all, sure. you know, um, and all that. And how were they? Were they particularly crowded or? or? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, they uh, they wasn't bad. I've seen worse. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, you know, it is the middle of the summer. Sure. Which is, you know, not peak time because, well, the weather is just it's just oppressively hot. Mm hmm. And if, if the heat and humidity aren't enough, the skies open up and a river pours down on you every afternoon. Right. Um, you know, so it's not ideal, you know, like, it's not like going there in the fall or the spring or even in the winter and, you know, getting away from the winter and going to Florida. So it wasn't that bad. Um, and, were people uh, masking? Uh, well, strangely enough, while we were there, Disney changed their policy. So the first two days we were there, the policy was uh, masks are not required. And then they switched to masks required indoors. And so then we got to experience basically two days without ma anybody wearing masks in the park, except a lot of employees were. And then we went to everybody wearing masks, at least when you got past the part of the, the line where it had the little sign that said, you know, hour and a half wait or whatever. Right. That's like the indicator. That's like in, inside you know, even if it's outside, that's inside, you know, right. And, you know, the, the Disney people and the very nice way that they ask for things, they ask you to put in their masks and the Disney attendees in the very nice way that they enjoy the day, everybody put on their masks. So, so yeah, so I got to experience both the kind of massless Disney and the, and the mass Disney, um, it was interesting to ride roller coasters with a mask on. <laughs> Nobody could see you scream. <laughs> so I'd be worried you know. about them blowing off, to be honest. But no, it, no, I, I'd be more worried about them like getting sucked into your mouth as you screamed and <laughs> gasp for breath. But uh, well, I mean, nothing at Disney, but the the Universal coasters are pretty. Uh, yes, pretty yes. much there. Um, got to ride the new Velocicoaster, coaster, the the newest coaster there at. Uh, at uh universal cool which uh i didn't know was supposed to be the most terrifying coaster in the world till after i wrote it and and was it <laughs> uh it was pretty it was pretty impressive it was okay. uh, it was quite an experience um i'm glad i didn't know that it was like that before i got on it i just thought it was a pretty i thought it was a good coaster i didn't mm -hmm. think it was like that and uh i'm glad i did it and i wish i had time to do it again now there that I know yep. that you can survive it, <laughs> but it is quite thrilling. Um, cool. And uh, the rest of the time, you know, it's fine. I, I, the one, one thing I'll point out when we get to uh, talking about cool stuff at the end here mm -hmm. uh, on the trip that I saw, 
Um, but the rest was uh, similar to the experiences we talked about before. Some people masking, some people not, different mm-hmm. policies. Uh, yeah, I was a little, you know, timid in Florida, some places of when I was not in the very touristy spots as to, well, if I wear a mask when I go in here, am I going to get the same kind of uh, disapproving looks that I get right. in Colorado when I don't wear a mask? <laughs> well, it's weird because I actually had that same kind of feeling as I was when I went to co- uh, Colorado a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like I'm in the, oh, the part somewhere. of the Colorado you were in. Yes. Yes. The other, the two, other different, two different Colorados. Two, yes. yes. Um, and of course, you know, and like even here in Washington, right, as soon as we cross the mountains, it's another kind of Washington. Uh, so, you know, that step through Idaho and or that side of Oregon and Utah and so forth. What do you do? You know, nobody's wearing a mask, but you kind of want to wear a mask because you yeah. don't trust everybody. And, and it's it's kind of strange. But, yeah, I, I understand the feeling for sure. Yep. And now, of course, with uh, Delta resurging, I don't know what's going on in Colorado right now, but um, in Washington, they've actually started implementing some mandates, which I find fascinating. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of um, furor results from uh, you know the mask mandates. Uh, right now, it's limited to uh, things like the, the state government has basically said government workers have to have masks. A couple of the counties have done the same thing. Um, and a couple of businesses have said that, yeah, you know, if you want to come in, you have to wear a mask again. So yeah. um, for being on the on the rebound for a while, it's, it looked kind of promising over the summer. But apparently we all spoke and demasked a little too soon. Yeah, it depends. I mean, I was looking at the Florida stats while I was down there. And, and of course, they, they, they're at a new all-time peak for right. the entire pandemic, right? right? And then I looked at Colorado, and Colorado is not. Colorado is way down. It's up from a few months ago yes. with the Delta variant, but it is not anywhere near our previous peaks. Uh, matter of fact, in Denver, I believe we have, I read there was a 72% vaccination rate in the city, um, which is That's actually pretty really, high. Really high, yeah. And yeah. Re- kind of reflects the fact that it isn't running, you know, Delta isn't running rampant through the city. Right. Um, but the uh, we've got a couple things technology-wise happen. One is w- we have an app. I don't know if you have it in Washington, but there is an official state of Colorado app that you can get. Right. And one of the things that this official app does is you can show your driver's license on it. And some point last year, uh, it went out that for official purposes in many ways, you can use your your phone and show your driver's license on your phone in this app, and mm-hmm. it counts, right? right. It's not for everything, you know. They don't. They're not saying it. You know, if a private business wants to wants to show you ID to prove you're over 21, and they only want to see a real driver's license, they can do that. So it's not a you know perfect system, but they do right. have this app now. A while ago in this app, uh, they had it where you could look up your vac- vaccination record. And sure enough, your vaccination record comes up and it shows your COVID uh, vaccination card in the app. So that's important because businesses have just started just in the last couple of days requiring vaccines. And today, in fact, one business um, that uh, owns several restaurants, a well-respected uh, restaurant, not chain. It's a each one is its own thing, but it's owned by like a chef, and it's you know pretty mm-hmm. well known. They announced that starting September 30th, that uh, diners will be required to show uh, proof of vaccination. So. Um, it, it's interesting, and, and I yeah. did—I I just realized I misspoke earlier when I said that the masks were mandated. It's vaccines that are being mandated. Yeah, That's so we're, we're we're getting, you know, so if there's few restaurants, there's, there's I think a total of six now <laughs> restaurants, but, you know, pretty well-known ones mm-hmm. that are saying they're going to require vaccinations at some point. There's a date for each one that, you know, others are going to fall in line. There's a bunch of other businesses and things that are doing it and saying, you know, that I'm sure it's going to be more and more and more. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. uh, it's interesting. Washington does not have an official app like that. So, oh, um, okay. yes, I have my driver's license on my phone, but it's because I scanned it. Yeah. <laughs> right? so, and yeah. yes, I have my, my COVID vaccination certificate on my phone, but it's because I scanned it. And yeah. of course you and I, and probably most of our listeners know that it is trivial, trivial to, oh, yeah. uh, to, to, you know, come up with an image of something that looks like a COVID vaccination record. So sure. I'm I'm glad that, that Colorado has something at least that's semi-official, and I'm assuming they're doing some kind of confirmation on the back end to make sure that uh, you know, it's only showing what it's supposed to be showing. Now, yeah, I whether, whether or not uh, you know the person at the restaurant 
would know the difference between somebody showing them a doctored picture that they happen to have in their photo gallery versus an image from the Colorado State app. I don't know. Uh, but uh, but at least it's a step in the right direction. I'm glad they're doing it. Yeah, exactly. I think maybe part of it is, uh, at least at the beginning, um, those that would be inclined to try to fake a vaccine record mm-hmm. like that, hopefully would be the same people that would say, I'm not going to go to those restaurants. Right. And the problem solves itself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them, though, are are the folks who then want to go to that restaurant to make a point. Right. Or to make a kerfuffle. Right. To, to, I to, to... guess that's a lot. These are expensive places to eat. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I, I understand it. And, but, they're, yeah. but they're not expecting to spend any money. Right. They're expecting to get kicked out and then make some make a racket about oh, it. So maybe, but maybe. Who knows? Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how it all plays out, both both there and here. Like I said, I I expect pushback. Um, yep. You know, we've seen that the level of pushback that some places are willing to go, uh, you know, with with Florida specifically in mind yeah um, they you know the mask mandates are illegal there or something like that which is just kind of well it's controversial to say the least i'll just put it that way sure so on to what else has been going on yes um so over the last couple of weeks you missed it uh we yeah totally yeah um it's been the olympics have been happening over in tokyo japan yep and i was at the 2020 olympics you saw 2020 everywhere, uh, even though it's 2021, which of course kind of causes your brain to go, what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's been very strange. You, know, you suddenly realize, what year is it really? <laughs> um, we did end up watching a fair amount of it. Um, not, you know, we didn't go out of our way. There was just the thing that I reflected on. And, and the reason I wanted to, to mention it, at least here today, is that I was impressed with the amount of coverage that was available in years and decades past uh, whoever was carrying the uh, the olympics for the united states which i think for the past couple of decades has been uh, nbc uh, has always come under heavy heavy fire for not having this, you know, not showing the judo or not showing the fencing or not showing this or mm-hmm. that or the other thing. Uh, and it's because, of course, they were limited on the number of uh, ways they could actually push the video out. Originally, of course, it was just, you know, prime time, NBC, your local affiliate, and that's all they had. So they had to pick and choose. When the cable companies and the and the satellite companies started to play, they had a few extra channels that they started to put into the mix, like the uh, the USA's and I think in some cases, what was it, Bravo, of all things, was running um, um, Olympics coverage in years past. This year, my goodness, it's all about streaming. Uh, just about anything you could want was being streamed somewhere. Uh, we have a, a Roku, and there was stuff being streamed directly on Roku. There was stuff being streamed in um, uh, on our local affiliate, of course, uh, through, in our case, YouTube TV. There was stuff being streamed on Peacock, of course, because that's owned by NBC. Um, there was just, and of course, there was always stuff that you could get on the web. I was just impressed with how much coverage was available for, um, in my sense, in my case, it seemed really timely given the nature of what the Olympics turned into this year, right? It mm-hmm. was very strange to see empty stadiums. And you know, empty venues where the only people that you saw were the athletes themselves, and maybe coaches and um, athletes from uh, sports that weren't competing at the same time, but were there to root on their teammates. Uh, it was very bizarre. In fact, I understand at some point they did do things like pipe in canned cheers, which I kind of sort of get. To me, it kind of sort of feels like canned laughter on a comedy show. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I also get that there's this psychological effect it's going to have on the competitors mm-hmm. that um, um, that I think is is part of what I'm sure is their Olympic experience. So anyway, I just wanted to comment on that, that I was amazed at how much was available and how well it all seemed to come off from a technological, technical perspective. Um, don't really have any comments on specific sports stories. That's not my thing. It was entertaining to watch. We watched the, uh, you know, a few things that we watch every four years, and that's the only time we watch them. But um, but that was entertaining. Now, after adding this to the uh, 
to our notes for today's show, I ran across an article in uh, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, NBC draws its lowest Summer Olympics ratings ever for Tokyo, huh. which on one hand, I kind of sort of get, right? The, 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 mm. the games weren't the same and probably didn't have the same draw because they didn't have that same level of excitement when you've got a stadium packed with people or a venue with lots of people acting out and so forth. Uh, but on the other hand, I have to wonder if the viewership was diluted by all the streaming options. And I also wonder if uh, they really understand how to how to include all these different streaming options in their ratings. Hmm. Because ratings, of course, are basically based on network broadcasts, right? They're, you know, that's what the number is all about. It's on, and I'm sure that it's, you know, this chat, you know, the, the NBC primary feed to all their affiliates, um, you know, the the USAs and the the CNBCs and the whoever else is actually running uh, uh Olympic coverage, but how are they counting some of these other ways that people are getting at the content? And I wonder if that too is playing into it. Anyway, like I said, it was just an interesting observation. Um, I enjoyed it. It worked really well. Um, it'll be, <laughs> and the next Olympics are in six months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, and I actually, I, you know, it's funny. I, I do enjoy the Olympics and I, and it was sad that our trip fold out it fell out like right almost exactly over yes. the Olympics. And I wasn't going to, you know, miss any of new Orleans and key West and stuff, you know, to, to watch TV. Cause normally if I had just been home, I probably would have taken us in a steady diet of some of the Olympics. I have grown from not being interested at all the winter Olympics to and only the summer Olympics to kind of a much more balanced thing now where I actually enjoy some of the winter Olympics now as well. So at least I'll, I'll, I'll get that. I did see everywhere I went, uh, if there was a TV, like a sports bar type situation and there was a TV on, it was showing the Olympics, right. but I guess, I mean, that makes sense. Sure, and sure. Of course they're going to show that. So it was all over the place. Yep. I'm not surprised. It's funny with the winter Olympics. Uh, I'm an equal opportunity watcher. I have the same level of interest and disinterest in sports, whether it be winter or summer. Right. But yeah. the one thing that, that cracks me up, uh, I caught on to this several Olympics ago. I still only watch it, you know, once every four years. I kind of like curling. <laughs> yeah, no, that curling is is at the top of my list too. Which which surprises several people yes. because they just don't under you know they don't see the appeal. Um, and what I tell them is, well, it's because I was born in Canada. Well, yes, <laughs> and my wife was born in Canada too, and we both love curling. But I think. The thing about curling is I think the way most people get into it is the way, the way that we did uh -huh. is you first, you, you don't watch it, but you joke about it. Right. right? Cause you see bits and you, so it's a joke. Right. And then you watch it for a lot, like as a joke, like you watch it ironically, <laughs> right? Oh, let's watch curling. And then you suddenly find out you're not watching it ironically anymore at all. You're actually really into it and you're trying to look forward to it. And the next thing you know, like six or seven Olympics go by, you know, half your life. And you realize every winter you're like, or every winter Olympics, you're like, Oh, curling. Where's the curling? Where's the curling? Where's the curling? <laughs> and you really like it. And then you actually start to like, notice that like, you know, there's a curl, there's a curling center in Denver. Did you know that? It's like, uh, you know, the interstate, you know, we should, they have these nights where you could go and you, it's like, you know, 20 I, I bucks. I've not and you try gone it. that far. I have not either, but I've thought about it. You know, so it is the kind of thing where it 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 brings you in and then you really start to appreciate it. I, I think I the biggest it. thing for me was simply understanding the rules, understanding what the objective of the game sure. of the of the sport is. Um, and um, you know, in an Olympics where um, dancing and twirling ribbons can be a sport, absolutely throwing a rock down the ice can be a sport. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> So anyway, it was fun. It was, you know, the, like I said, the Olympics were fun. And I'm honestly, I am looking forward to the Winter Olympics. I forget where they're going to be, uh, but uh, I think it's actually not far from where they are now. I, I think uh, is it in China? I think it's China. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, so I um, uh, one thought did uh, occur to me about the, the ratings mm -hmm. thing is I'm wondering, it has been five years and the, and it's things have changed in terms of the TV we consume. Yeah. Streaming is mainstream now. Absolutely. Right. So I'm wondering in the past, all the stations, all the networks had basically done nothing during those two weeks, even if it's a competing network, 
All right. They would do reruns because they're not going to want to put like new shows on and then not and have those fall flat because everyone's watching the Olympics. So you'd end up with like every station showing reruns and the one station that's showing the Olympics. Of course, they're just showing the Olympics and everybody watches it. But now with streaming, that doesn't matter anymore. You know, if you're binging something or you get in or you discover a new show or whatever it is, then you're not going to go and say, oh, time to take two weeks off from that for the Olympics. No, you're going to keep binging whatever it is you're watching. It's interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting observation. I wonder if that didn't play into it. Now, I will say that we suspended our binging <laughs> during the oh, Olympics. Okay. Right? So you did. Okay. Um, but, but I mean, you know, we're probably anomalies. It was one of those things where, you know, yeah, we just put the TV on in the background and, and do random stuff. But I did have a couple of interesting observations on what you just said. The one is that there is a series we were watching that uh, was episodical once a week mm -hmm. and it ended its final episode was in the middle of the Olympics. Mm. So they either miscalculated mm. or they didn't care. Uh, I'm not sure which it was. Um, for the record, it was why women kill season two. Oh. And uh, like I said, the final episode, uh, what a fun series really enjoyed both season one and season two. They're quite different, but they're quite good. Anyway, the, the final episode was like the, during the first week of the Olympics. Hmm. The other thing I've noticed is that as I'm keeping track of what we're about to watch, what's coming up, what's getting released and so forth, a bunch of stuff got released this week or is getting released this week. Yeah. Uh, so there were definitely, I think some, and by, by bunch of stuff, I don't necessarily mean, television episodicals. I do mean like the Netflix, you know, here's a dump of eight episodes, go for it. Um, that kind of stuff has been happening too. So it, it, I'm sure it played into it, but I'm, it's, it's interesting to consider exactly how, um, how it factored into it all. Mm. Um, so yeah, let's, let's give you the mic for a minute. Oh, okay. So, well, so while I was gone, uh, there is a weird thing going on with Apple. It's a, it's a, controversy it's a mess but it's very small at this point as in like 99 percent of like apple users don't even know this is happening and one percent are extremely upset about it for different reasons <laughs> it's a, it, i've never seen such a messy controversy before and it's over apple's announcement that they're going to be implementing some technology actually two separate things uh to uh, that have to do with uh child's uh, I forget what CSAM stands for, but child pornography, basically. And uh, it's their information they released. I think their information initially was very clear, but everybody immediately muddled it up. <laughs> you know, it's like somebody hands you a birthday cake and you immediately just put your hands in it and mush it up until you, you can't even tell what it is anymore. And basically, uh, people are confusing the two different things that Apple is doing. One is to protect uh, it's kind of parental controls that protect messages uh, that may contain inappropriate material. And the other is uh, checking to see if your photo library contains child pornography uh, or CP for short. So um, a lot of people confuse those two things and said that they're you know basically like one feature. And how can Apple do that? Because Apple's a privacy oriented company. How are they now looking at my photos and examining my photos? And that is caused confusion, but also the technology involved has really caused confusion because technically, if you want to just, you know, use the English language and the words in a sentence, you could say that Apple is examining your photos, but that's not really what's happening. That's way oversimplifying. What's actually happening is Apple is going to use a, a process that is already in use by other companies like Google, by the way, uh, where they are basically running a hash against photos. I knew, I knew it. I was going to say, let me guess, it's a hash. Yes. So <laughs> so they're running a hash against photos to determine whether or not those photos uh, are CP. Right. But people really get confused about this. They're, the hash doesn't actually look at the photos and try to figure out what's in, in the photos. Not at all. Right. The hash is actually comparing the photo against a database of hashes which match known existing CP photos. So in other words, there's a, there's a library of photos out there which they've created hashes for. Right. I don't know, you know, there is no, I, I don't think they say how many there are. It's not Apple's list of hashes. It is uh, this organization uh, that, you know, fights uh, CP. And they are 
basically running uh, your photos against that uh, to see if there's a match. Uh, if there's a match, then mathematically, I think uh, there's only a one in a trillion chance right. that it's a false match, um, that it's not the photo uh, that it, it matches to. And, you know, the Apple doesn't even know what that hash what, what photo that hash is for, you know, they have no idea. It just, oh, it matches. And then a, basically a, another kind of hash gets sent back to Apple with the photo. And so at that point, you don't even know if there's a match. It's not like a, there's a check mark or a red X next to the photo at all. It's just a bit of data goes with it. No idea what that means. And Apple on Apple servers that gets tallied. And if the number's too high, in other words, you know, you look at people's, uh, uh, photos libraries come up and they have this number and the number is going to be zero for like 99.9% of everybody. Right. Every once in a while, I guess technically there could be a one. Right. Potentially <laughs> but if, false positive, but unlikely. I mean, unlikely. nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, and then there's going to suddenly be an account that's got 157. Yep. Right. And then when that comes, then the next step would be for Apple the company itself, not to actually do anything, not to tell anybody about it, but for somebody at Apple, uh, to actually review the photo. So at that point, they break their privacy thing. They say if that hash, that number of hashes that are matched is too high. We're going to break our privacy thing. We're telling you that we're putting it in our agreements here. And then we're going to look. And if that is in fact, you know, confirmed that those are the photos, which will be hundred percent of the time, um, then, uh, then they go and they alert. Uh, I don't even think it's the authorities at this point. I think it's just this organization that can then go and say, oh, we have reason to believe that this person, right? So now a lot of people, of course, uh, pointing to, oh, well, this is technically examining my photos. Apple is doing a bunch of really interesting things to try to keep on the, on the good side of privacy. One thing it's doing that's different than everybody else is that the hash matching is taking place on your device. So unlike everybody else, you know, like with Google, your photo goes, goes up to Google Photos, and then while it's on Google Photos, on their servers, they check it. For Apple, Apple's going to actually have these hashes built into the operating systems. And the photo is checked before it's uploaded. So does that mean the database of known hashes is on your phone or are they just yes. doing the hash calc? Really? Yes, the database is going to be on your device, which they, which they actually point out is important because uh, it, uh, it allows them to do it in a way that individuals cannot be targeted. So everybody has the same version of, you know, iOS 15 or Mac OS Monterey. It's built into the operating system. It's probably not big. I mean, it's probably tiny compared to other, you know, things, the operating system. And so, but the idea is that they can't, you know, they can't go and say, you know, oh, the government in a certain country wants us to look in on this person, like this individual run these hashes against them or something, because it's like, no, these hashes aren't things that we have that are live. These are built into the operating system. If an image is going to be added, a hash is going to be added. It's added for everybody. It's part of an update. Yeah, part, part of an update. update. So, yeah. so it's universal. So nobody, nobody can be individually targeted. Everybody's treated equally. The uh, one of the fundamental things that I think most people don't get about the whole system is everybody thinks that what's going on is your photos are being examined for CP. So what happens if, say, I take a picture of this fountain at a park near me, which has a cherub in it, right? A Greek statue cherub. It looks like a little baby, naked baby, right? It's a statue. What happens if you're a parent and your two-year-old is doing the most adorable thing with the bubbles in their hair in the bathtub, right? common photo that probably most families have, right? But there's a naked baby. <laughs> what happens if you have those photos in there? Are they going to be flagged? Of and course not. Of course not. Because they can't be. Yeah. They can't the be. Database. Right. The database is of existing photos. So, you know, an organization has collected these photos that are photos that are known to be passed around in this community, if we could even call it that. Um, and these photos exist already. The only reason a match should happen is if somebody were to download one of these photos, not just download it, but then decide that they want that photo to be in their photo library, like the photo library where you take pictures with your iPhone of like you right. know sunsets and stuff, right. which is, which is, if you think about it, it's really a 
you know, weird, like, you know, one of the things people are afraid of is, oh, couldn't you use this for like political dissidents, right? Uh, like, what if you, for what if China said, we want uh, people with, uh, we want to know who's got pictures of the Tiananmen Square uprising from, you know, 1990, when was it, 1991? Whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, what if we wanted, we, we want to know who's got that on their phones, Right. Well, the problem with that is, is that who is then taking that photo and then putting that into their photos library? You don't do that. You take your, they're, they are supposed to be your pictures. They're, for me, they're my pictures. They're, maybe every once in a while, one my wife takes on her iPhone or a friend might take a picture of me or a picture of a group of us and I'd be like, hey, send me that photo. But these are unique pictures that are generated. I don't think most people go and say, I'm going to download, like if you want to download a beautiful picture for a desktop background, Maybe you do that, but you don't go and then add it to your photos library like it's like a photo you took. So, you know what I'm saying? I, I guess um, I'm, I'm not familiar enough with the Apple ecosystem and structure. Aren't these photos getting um, uploaded to your iCloud? The, the yes, well, the the photos that they're talking about have to be in your photos library. So, using the photos app, and and you're using iCloud, the iCloud version of that library. So, the photos are on Apple servers. Yes, after they've been checked, right? So the checking is taking place on your on your device. Then the um, photo is uploaded. So the photo the photo is the actual bits being checked are the bits on your device, not the bits in Apple's okay. uh, on Apple servers. Now, and Apple says also that if you do not want to use their, you know, if you just want to use local storage for your photos, then the system isn't even engaged. It's only. Basically, it almost looks like it's like Apple saying, we don't want this on our servers. <laughs> so oh, we're going to put this thing in place to make sure this stuff it doesn't get on our servers. This is kind of bizarre. And I'm, I'm, I feel like well, I'm missing something because there's like half a dozen different outs for somebody that wants to have this material on their device. Exactly. And I think it's, it's basically a, uh, if you want to, well, it's basically if you want to, do this. Don't use our. Don't use our system. We're not going to enable people. And I, you know, I kind of, uh, as a software developer who's developed games, and you know, I've I've had games where people can create their own crossword puzzles, and people create their own word searches and jigsaw puzzles. And I've had to deal with uh, unsavory things being created with my stuff, and I've put stuff in place to stop that because it's like, if you want to do that, I don't want to be a part of it, right? So I could see Apple kind of also feeling that way. On the one hand, on the other hand, there are going to be stupid criminals out there that are going to do it anyway. And Apple's thinking if we can catch a dozen or a hundred of them, you know, and be part of helping that, uh, we're okay with that, especially considering that other tech companies have already been doing so for a while. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I find it, I don't know. I find it potentially amazingly ineffective for all the controversy that it's going to be generating. Um, you're right. It is complicated for sure. People don't understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, you and I do, and I'll speak to, to one of the reasons, one of the things that may make people feel a little better about this in a moment. But um, it, like I said, there's just so many different ways out. I mean, let's face it. Um, all somebody has to do to one of these pictures is, oh, I don't know, recompress it or crop it. Actually, that doesn't that doesn't quite work, as they point out in one of the tech documents. Then um, that's the hashes, not a true hash. That no, the hashes will, I guess, are done in such a way. They show an example of basically converting a color photo to a black and white photo, and they'll say the hash would still match. So you know, I look at it like this. So I, I, you know, and maybe this is this is more for the listener than for you. Um, it's hard to imagine pictures and photos, but if you imagine a book, a novel, right? You take a novel, you divide it up into 40 sections, 40 chapters, you know, just equally. And then you do, you know, say in the first chapter, how many times is the letter J used? In the second chapter, how many times is the word the used? In the third chapter, what's the ratio of E's to I's? You know, you come up with like this thing, right? And then you get a number. Oh, there's 2,000 J's in the first chapter. There's 400 the's in the second chapter, that kind of thing. And then you say, oh, but there's a little bit, introduce a little bit of error in there, right? You say, okay, it could be anywhere, you know, 2000 letter J's with, you know, give or take 10, you know, so you create this kind of fingerprint for the novel. And if you do that cleverly enough, 
first thing is the fingerprint matches no other novel that's ever been created, not even close, right? And the second thing is if you try to change something, remove a few words, rearrange a couple things, it still matches. But it, yet it still does not match any other thing out there. So I can see technically encryption-wise right. how you can get a hash that could not be fooled by simply recompressing or converting a photo, you know, using it's, a filter. It's, it's interesting. And maybe I'm colored because I just, I just wrote an article. I mean, literally yeah. yesterday um, called how do websites keep passwords secure? Yeah. And um, it talks about exactly this, that websites don't know uh, websites that do security security properly don't know your password. Right. They just don't. They can't tell you. If they can tell you that your password, then they're doing security wrong. They store a hash of that yes. password. It's a one-way calculation that just generates a number. And if you enter the same password correctly the next time when you try to log in, then the number is going to be identical. The difference, though, is that what you're describing is indeed a hash, but it is a very specific hash with different characteristics that I think hashes most people who understand hashes at all um, are, are assuming. The difference being that uh, the, the hash is used for passwords and in many, many other things. The, even the slightest amount of change in the yeah. input will cause a massive change in the output. That's by design. So if you change even one bit of your password, uh, you know maybe you change a, a lowercase letter to an uppercase letter, which by definition is a one-bit change, then the resulting hash that, that gets calculated on that is completely different in a completely unpredictable way. Here, it sounds like they're definitely having to craft a, a hash algorithm that... I, I like your your analogy of the book. I think that that's a very good way of looking at it. Um, but then to apply that across, quote unquote, images, whatever, however they want to define an right. image, um, that's that's pretty. It's a lot of data. Yeah. That's that's the difference. I mean, a password is a tiny amount of data, and a an image or a novel is a huge amount of data. So you can you can have something like that where you could say. You know, even an altered right. version still matches. Yet, it yet neither the original nor the altered version are anything like any other image out there that exists. You know, the hash right. is completely different. So, yeah, it, it's very confusing. And one of the arguments that's commonly used, matter of fact, the only real argument that kind of makes sense is the slippery slope argument, <laughs> right. which I know it's kind of a, a like a fallacy, you know, a logical fallacy when, right. when arguing things, you know, it's, it's saying, well, if app, uh, people, somebody right, right at the beginning of this called it a backdoor, which it is not. Um, right. The And the idea is if Apple puts this technology in there and everybody knows about it, then what's to stop the government, you know, whatever government it is from stepping in and saying, uh, we want you also to track this and we know you can do it because you're doing this for CP. We just right. want kind of a, here's a thousand images. We want you to tell us like who, um, you know, has uh, more than a hundred of these on their phones. I, I mean, so the problem with the slippery slope argument is, you know, as one person put it, not all slippery slopes are slippery or sloped. Um, <laughs> the, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, if I, I mean, Apple controls the operating system. They, they control the devices. You could argue that the slippery slope is anywhere. You know, just the fact that Apple can create a new version of iOS and right. put anything they want into it, there's a slippery slope right there. So if Apple's going to draw the line here, I mean, here they've drawn it where they're not even they're not even giving this information to law enforcement. They're checking it out first and then giving it to this organization, um, and they're saying it's only for CP. That's it. You know, so you could say, well, there's a slippery slope, but that doesn't make it a slippery slope. I mean, Apple could, you know, I mean, first of all, Apple has make is making everything clear ahead of time. So right. even if you go with the slippery slope thing, it would be Apple in a year saying, oh, and we're now we're doing this and then giving people plenty of time to say, oh, I have politically sensitive stuff on my, my account. Let me get that out of there. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't quite buy that. And of course there's already the a whole thing of legal warrants in the United States. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, get a warrant to look at somebody's, you know, go into somebody's house and look at what they've got. It's not like, you know, there is absolutely no, nothing the government can do to 
I'm, I'm wondering, well, yeah, yes and no, right? I mean, in, in, a, in a system that works, uh, there's a requirement called probable cause. Probably, right? but you, yes, but that's what people are, I mean, probable cause. So where, where's the, isn't that a slippery slope too? What's yeah, probable cause? Yeah. And I could, <laughs> I could see where this would end up given how it's currently designed. I mean, Apple detects this, they provide this information to a third party, a third party, you know, presumably an objective third party then says, yep, this looks like a serious violation. Let's give that to law enforcement because it is probable cause. Right for the law well, enforcement. That, to that I go. think is is the idea. Right, is exactly, exactly the idea. Is to get but that it's not with. like law enforcement can just randomly pick someone up off the street and say, "Hey, give me your phone." They have to have exactly. a reason, uh, at least in theory. Well, like I said, when the system is working. Well, for yeah, the record, I, um, CSAM is child sexual abuse materials. That's I went it, and looked yes. it up, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's you know. Uh, you know, and uh, another person, I saw another person online point out the fact that uh, if you look on Facebook, people are complaining about this. But if you're on Facebook, <laughs> I mean, really, if you're you're complaining about this on Facebook, I mean, that is kind of like really there's irony for you right there. So it's just a it's just a very odd thing. I mean, Apple has, I'm sure, thought about this a lot um, and said that uh, we we do want to fight uh, CSAM and we're going to have to do it in the best way possible. And here's a system we've come up with. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't, I, I think there'll be people that will complain no matter what. Yep. Um, I don't know what they're going to do otherwise. I mean, what are you going to do? Move to Google photos? Nope. You can't do that. Uh, are you going to look to, for another, are you going to look for another system like maybe somebody comes up with a work a completely private photo system. If say, that's that's the case, then Apple doesn't care. I mean, it's going to be if you have your iPhone, somebody else's problem. I mean, it's like yeah, you're still buying the iPhone, right? It, it's and, like it's like setting up your own private social network that reflects your political views. Sure, I mean, it, you know, so you can do that. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird, it's a yeah. very weird um, thing for people to be complaining about. Uh, I hear people's arguments, and I guess my, my, my conclusion to this whole thing is, is that I think Apple's okay here, but I love pushback. I think pushback is mm. extremely important. Mm -hmm. When Apple gets pushback on something like this, even let's say they stick to their guns and the system is going to implement it exactly as they announced it. They get this pushback. That's important to hold them in check and say, boy, we, we really pushed it with this, the system here. We're not going a step further. And I think it's even more important when you talk about governments and, and you know, all sorts of things and companies like Facebook and Google too, you know, to give them the scrutiny and make them always think very carefully about what they're doing and to not to realize that, hey, if we if we go one step further, people are not going to be quiet about it, right? We're going to get even more pushback. Let's, you know, it's, that's, it, that's it what is, keeps things in check. It is interesting. I agree. Absolutely. And I think Apple's doing a good job of responding to the scrutiny from the sound mm -hmm. of it. Um, the reason we both laughed at Facebook earlier is because Facebook is absolutely scanning everything you post. Oh yeah, right? for all sorts of things, reasons that are sorts oh. of things. That's yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. They, on the other hand, are dropping the ball when it comes to scrutiny. They do a yes. horrid job of telling people what they're up to or why or responding to um, uh, complaints or or invalid takedowns or when their AI goes a little bit rogue or whatever. Um, so they're at like a counterexample of, you know, yeah, doing these things is good. Scrutiny is good, but you got to respond to the scrutiny. Well, you, you, I, yeah, but I'd argue that, the, you know, that's still the people, the people complaining about Facebook and privacy has still changed Facebook's policy and still prevented them from going further. If nobody had said anything at this point, Facebook would just be running rampant, right? Possibly. I mean, it'd be way, way worse than yeah. what they are now. Yeah. If nobody said anything, they, you know, so that's, that's kind of like you have all you have, you don't have any company doing a perfect, you have a company like Apple that's extremely sensitive, but it's not going to just go with the complete, like everything's completely private, do whatever you want. 
Um, and you have companies like Facebook that says, we're going to do whatever we want until you're so mad at us, <laughs> but we're not any, for, you know, not any further than that. And we'll so, judge where the line is by how mad you get. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, well, people, but you know, because I mean, the government, there's government, the pe people are upset at Facebook. That has made legislators upset. They've threatened legislation. Facebook has, you know, taken a step back. They've probably taken five steps forward and one step back, but they've, right. <laughs> you know, but they are kind of being held in check because people are upset. But it, it, the governments it just, are upset. It just seems like, I mean, not, I, I guess it's, it's a system working. But it's not the yeah. system I want to see working, right? I, the system yeah. I want to see working is uh, Facebook, and we haul out Facebook because they're an easy target, but they're oh, certainly yeah. not alone. Um, Facebook is open and transparent and responsive to these complaints, and they describe what they're doing and why they're doing it, and why you, you know, why your post got taken down. And here are the rules. Um, and if you follow the rules, then um, you, you'll be fine. And if you do something that we decide is inappropriate, we will publicly change the rules so that everybody knows what the rules are. Right now, it seems like that's just not the case. Um, and that's the that's the frustrating part about the pushback that, that Facebook, um, and like I said, others like it, um, are, are constantly not, not reacting to. TikTok, by the way, um, given the, the amount of time that I've spent on TikTok of late, um, I keep seeing the same kind of thing from the creators out there too. Um, yep. They just get random things pulled down for no reason, or they get um, you know flooded by takedown requests because somebody doesn't like what they say, not that what they say is is inappropriate or or whatever. So yeah, it's 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 an interesting mess, but yeah, I like I like what Apple is at least trying to do in terms of um, responding to it. I just have concerns that what they're doing isn't going to be as effective as I think they hope it will be. Yep. Well, we'll have to see. This all rolls out with see. the new operating systems in the fall. So okay, cool. Yep. Right. And, you know, it's funny because we, you know, what was it? Some months ago, we were talking about the uh, um, the new uh, acts, you know, permissions alert system that they were implementing for all the apps on uh, uh, on your iPhone, mm. where you know you would all of a sudden get notifications for this app is requesting all these different permissions. If I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. That was new. That hasn't really seemed to cause much of a stir. Yeah, i I think it. Uh, I think the it world, all worked out okay. For, yeah, the world keeps rotating, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, that's it's apps dealt with it, consumers dealt with it, and I don't think anybody really got hurt. Yep. Okay. Um, so one of the things that also happened in the past couple of weeks was that Microsoft announced what they called Windows 365. Um, I have a long history of really disliking how Microsoft na names things. And this is another case of what the heck does it mean? Um, we've talked a lot over the years about uh, cloud computing, especially in recent years. And in fact, uh, Ask Leo, as it's running right now, uh, survived an interesting test. Uh, my newsletter went out this morning that uh, its new cloud infrastructure up on Amazon Web Services got tested and survived quite nicely. Thank you. Um, it's running an AWS server and it's got, I moved the database around and it's, we're just trying to, to play with the, the performance things that um, uh, we, uh, we do because Google wants to reward fast sites. The, the technology that we, that we rely on is what's called a virtual machine. And we see that a lot in the cloud because I have a virtual Linux box that is running um, uh, Ask, the Ask Leo server. It's actually running Ubuntu Linux. And it is virtual in the sense that it is one small sliver of what is presumably a significantly larger piece of hardware that is shared by multiple people doing multiple different things at multiple different times. And, you know, there's a lot of flexibility and, and coolness built into it all. Having a lot of fun with that. I also use virtual machines here on my desktop. I am running Windows 10 Pro as my primary operating system on my machine, but then I also have virtual machines for Windows 10 Home, because so many of the questions I get relate to that specific version of the operating system. I have another virtual machine that's running Windows 10 Pro just because it's not as tweaked up as my 
uh, installation is, because of course mine's completely tweaked for what I need and what I do, which is not uh, an average user's Windows 10 Pro. But I've also got Windows 7 and there's a copy of Windows XP here and somewhere I've got a copy of uh, Windows 3.31 just for fun. But they all run in Windows as virtual machines. And it's literally a virtual computer in a window on another larger machine. What Microsoft has announced with Windows 365 is the ability to subscribe. It's a, it's a monthly plan to a PC. You get a virtual PC running Windows 10 um, in the cloud. Uh, so hmm. rather than say replacing the computer you have because it's old and tired, or rather than replacing your Mac with a PC or replacing your Google Chromebook with a PC because you happen to need a PC, instead you subscribe to the service, you get a pristine copy of Windows 10 uh, virtually uh, on their hardware, on their servers, and you just remote access to it. You run, literally, you run the remote desktop protocol that comes with Windows 10 and comes with multiple, you know, various different operating systems so that the Windows 10 you're using isn't a machine in your home or your business at all. You're running this little, well, dare I say it, thin client mm. <laughs> that is then remoting to the machine that's actually doing the work. There are some really, really interesting use cases uh, that uh, I find fascinating. The one that I think has the most appeal to a lot of um, perhaps small businesses are when they periodically need a lot of horsepower and they just don't have a PC of their own that does that. Uh, you know, Video editing hopefully might be a scenario, but a lot of complex calculations, whatever. The point is that when you get one of these virtual Windows machines through uh, Windows 365, as with most virtual machines, you can say, I want it to be this big. I want it to be this fast. I want it to have this much RAM. I want it to have this many cores. Um, and you can change that, right? You can say, okay, today my machine needs to have four cores and eight gig. Tomorrow, sure. no, I need 32 cores and 64 gig. Um, I think 32 gigs is the current limit, but you get the idea. The concept is that you can resize your machine kind of sort of on the fly. Uh, with a reboot and all of a sudden your machine is now more powerful than it was and able to do more uh, leap over larger buildings in, in fewer fewer bounds. Mm. Here's the catch from what I've seen so far. Uh, for one thing, it requires connectivity. Fortunately, ubiquitous connectivity is kind of something that a lot of people can start to assume. Um, it's not a solution for people that have intermittent connectivity or slow connectivity because you're actually transmitting screen images in real time um, down the wire, which can eat, eat up some bandwidth. It's not horrid, but it eat, eats up some. Now, right now, the issue is cost. Uh, you can get a new PC that's fairly powerful for a few hundred dollars, uh, and you will spend a few hundred dollars every year for a bare bones Windows 365 PC. And that's, that part is unfortunate and I think definitely turns this into the realm of not necessarily even small businesses, but larger businesses with budgets that um, have the ability to pay for this kind of thing. But I just find the concept fascinating. I just mm -hmm. do. Um, I Like I said, I use virtual machines myself all the time for a variety of different reasons. And honestly, the virtual machines that I run here that are running Windows 10 Home and Windows 10 Pro that I use for examples and to research questions and so forth, they don't need to be on my machine. They could be anywhere. They could be in Microsoft's data center. And in fact, there are pros and cons to doing that. Um, but I just find it an interesting use of technology, much like, and this one, I don't know if you're aware of this one, Gary, uh, over on, on AWS, of course, you have been able to um, get Windows uh, instances of machines out there. They are Windows 10 Enterprise, uh, whereas Windows 10 Pro at least is available uh, through Microsoft. But um, apparently you can also get a Mac. They have quote unquote virtual Macs available. Oh yeah, sure. Through AWS. And as I was looking through the documentation on those, uh, they're not quite as virtual as you think. 
Um, my understanding is that each Mac is actually um, a dedicated piece of hardware uh, somewhere, right? It may be um, you know, highly compressed in a, in, a, in a rack somewhere, but uh, when you fire up a, a Mac instance, you're getting a Mac all to yourself. Uh, I just find that find that interesting. But anyway, like I said, Microsoft is now offering um, Windows as a service. Where this time it really does mean Windows as a service. It's a it's a complete PC that you can um, subscribe to, turn on, turn off, pay for only while it's running, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it is interesting, and you know, looking at it as a way to replace virtualization. You know, running Windows on a Mac now that we've got you know gotten to M ones. And right. that don't they can't run Windows? I mean, people say, "Oh, yeah, you can run Windows uh, the ARM version," but then the ARM version can't run certain things, and it's a it's a whole. You can't really run Windows on M1 yet, but all you need to do this is Microsoft Remote Desktop, which is available on the Mac. It's available on almost all platforms. It's great. Yeah, so yeah. you can use this instead, and uh, you basically. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're on an M1 Mac or a, you know, uh, or an old Intel Mac or what. So I, it's a, it's an interesting solution. Hmm. Cool. The other, the other thing that they've that a lot of people have mentioned, like I said, I think the pricing right now, at any rate, yeah, um, doesn't high. make this viable for for the for this particular use case. But the scenario that they're describing is, you've got an old PC and you need more horsepower. Um, yeah. In reality, you're going to replace the PC. Uh, but they say, well, you can use like your your um, Google Chromebook or your Mac or a tablet or whatever and not have to get an extra piece of hardware. And I agree, there probably are some interesting scenarios where that is um, a viable thing to do. Just not that many. It just I, doesn't make, the, the math doesn't work out just I yet. think for work, I think for work, if, you know, if your employer is paying for it, right? I, I think, you know, I'm looking at prices here, like 24 bucks a month. Or twenty bucks a month, if you, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, but and that's if you take a look at the characteristics of that machine, low. that can barely run Windows ten. <laughs> I mean, even if it's, even if it's fifty, even if it's fifty bucks a month, you know, I, I think if you've got a, a, a mission critical app that needs to, you know, you have an access database and you work with that, right? And you know, I I find it I find it an interesting solution. Uh, because I mean, it, maybe even now you're lugging a MacBook and a, a Windows, you know, laptop around with you everywhere, and now you could just have the MacBook, right. and even just on your phone, you know, check it. Oh, you know, I got to log it, log into my Windows machine here and check it. Um, I mean, it, it's what back when I had to use virtualization, or actually, I didn't use virtualization. Virtualization didn't really exist yet. I had to have a PC because I did web development, mm -hmm. and there was a period in the late nineties, early two thousands, where if you did serious web development, like people were paying you to actually have the, you know, you build their websites for them. Um, you had, you had to have a PC, like, you know, you had your Mac, you worked on, I, I worked on my Mac, but I had to have a PC also, cause I had to run internet explorer right. and see what it looked like. Cause <laughs> it was going to look different than it did on the Mac. Right. So, and in that case, paying 50 bucks a month for that would have been a no brainer. Absolute no brainer. Like I would have really? been like, oh, I, I mean, don't need to have, I don't need, I was probably spending, I was probably getting a new PC every other year. And I'm sure I spent more than a thousand bucks on it to get Because that's what you just, what you're just racking up at 50 bucks a month, right? Yeah. You're, and you're and 1100 bucks a year. And to say, oh, I don't even have to have that piece of hardware sitting under my desk. Like, you know, that I don't have to worry about which I can just subscribe to this. Yeah. And then it appears remote desktop, uh, Microsoft remote desktop. It appears there and I can test out these web pages or this whatever software or whatever it is I'm doing, I, I think it's a no-brainer. I don't think for the home user, I, and it, clearly it's not geared towards that right now, right. very clearly of looking course. at the website, but I think for businesses uh, to be able to go in and uh, just you know do that, I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's very attractive. I'm, t I'm tempted now, but I just look at it and say, no, it doesn't make sense for me. I don't use uh, Windows enough anymore right. uh, to, to justify Right. Uh, spending that money. But there was a time when I think I would have. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, like I said, I'm having a lot of fun with the servers up at AWS and, and playing with that technology. Yeah. You know, this this just kind of dovetailed. Cool. All righty. Um, so off in our, in our Ain't It Cool, I'll just throw a, a quick one out here. I needed to read something other than 
tech or self-improvement or whatever. So um, I fell into, literally fell into it because my wife had purchased it. Um, I started reading the Murderbot series and Hmm. it is, it's light sci-fi. It's a lot of fun. It's essentially about um, an, an AI construct um, who's got a job as what they call a security unit. Um, and he has uh, overridden his internal programming. So he basically has uh, free will and just, you know, hilarity ensues. I mean, exploits follow. Um, there's six um, uh, books so far. I just finished the last one the other day. And uh, just, I had fun with it. You know, I, it, yep. it was fun in life. And that's sometimes that's exactly what you need. The Audible algorithm has recommended that to me. So, ah, okay, yeah, and 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 of all things, when I uh, when I finished the last one, um, it got automatically uh, marked as finished on Goodreads, and our friend Kay liked the status update, <laughs> so oh, apparently okay. he's read it too. Cool. Um, I'll uh, I'll comment on something that I, I is not a book, video game, TV show, movie. It's a museum. Uh, when I was in New Orleans, I visited the National World War II Museum, which is located in New Orleans. And I like war museums. I've been to them all around the world. Um, so was I going to miss this one? It uh, has a lot of cool technology things, like you get this ID card uh, at the beginning and it basically assigns you a soldier or somebody participating in the war. Um, and you... Uh, can then, as you go around, you can actually scan your card and it will show you what your particular person was doing uh, at that time or in this event. Um, so it's kind of interesting. It brings you into I like that. Into it. Yeah, it was kind of neat. And the exhibit's really uh, good, uh, very well done, modern museum. It, it is interesting. I've been to so many World War II museums and uh, World War II is probably the largest single subject in all of history. You know, so many aspects to it. Every nation's involved. Uh, everything from the Holocaust to the atomic bomb, everything is just there. So I've never seen a book or uh, t- TV documentary, movie, uh, museum that can possibly even begin to cover even a you know, decent portion of it. But so every museum has to have its own slant. And of course, this is the National World War II Museum in the United States. Its, uh, its take on it is the American experience basically so almost no mention of things like you know uh, the soviet union's uh you know the red army's uh participation in the war uh you know things like that very little talk about i mean there was some talk about you know britain stands alone and and you know all these things but it was very uh, american centered which is probably what it should be every museum's got its own thing i've been to the world war ii museum in japan um, and uh, that had kind of its own thing, mostly a uh, very apologetic tone to it. Uh, there isn't one. I don't think there is one in Germany. Um, uh, I've been to British. Uh, they have a series of uh, Imperial War Museums, and I've been to the Churchill uh, uh, one, which is the um, what was it uh, the Churchill War Rooms, uh, which is you know specifically World War II, and that of course has you know very much the. Britain stands alone, uh, the, the battle of Britain kind of thing at the center and all of that. So, you know, it, it's good museum, a lot of cool, uh, interesting technology, uh, use of technology and nice, uh, nice things, um, you know, ways that things are displayed, uh, a lot of artifacts and things to bring you into the time period and kind of immerse you in uh, different portions of the, of the war and the American experience in it. So anyway, there's that. If you're in New Orleans, don't miss it. It's definitely, uh, uh, you know, t- if you like museums at all, it's not to be missed just because it's a really good museum, let alone uh, learning about World War II. You make me want to go discover a uh, World War II museum in the Netherlands because I'm sure there is one next time oh. I'm there. And their perspective would be uh, quite, quite different since they yes. were uh, occupied throughout the majority of it. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so. Self-promotion. What I the article I want to point people at is askleo.com slash 1827. It's entitled, How Do I Keep the Status Bar from Disappearing in Internet Explorer 6? What? Um, I, I point people to that <laughs> one today specifically because today, as we're recording, Tuesday, um, August the 10th, that article was first published 18 years ago today. 
Today is the 18th anniversary of Ask Leo. And I just oh. wanted to celebrate that a little bit. Um, wow. 18 years is a really long time. Uh, at some point this year, in the next, I think in about three or four months, um, I'll have been doing Ask Leo longer than I did Microsoft, and which will be some other random event or, or celebration or at least acknowledgement along the way. But uh, yeah, life was a little different 18 years ago. We're talking, you know, XP was new and Windows 3.1 that I mentioned earlier was still around and um, Internet Explorer was the thing that that people like you had to worry about. <laughs> yes, and, and and no operating system built by Apple could ever outnumber Windows. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm talking about talking about of course iOS, which does, but well, okay. Yep. <laughs> but then but then but then Android outnumbers. But then Microsoft would, would end up doing its own phone and just take it. Well, never mind. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. Uh, yeah, it's funny to look back and think about uh, um, you know the kind of uh, stories we were doing ten years ago. Or, yes. Oh, absolutely. Or whatever, and what was important then, and what was interesting, and in fact, the question that actually was the genesis of that article and the genesis of the beginning of Ask Leo, of course, um, was from an individual uh, who was a member of our mastermind at the time. Of our of the group we were mm. we were part of, and I said, "Oh, that's a question. I should write up the answer to that." And the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, cool. Well, I've got uh, right now. I'm in the middle of a uh, a course. I actually decided my uh, Mac security course, which was four years old. I decided to update it, um, and that's a course I make available for free. Uh, and since I am making it available for free, I thought. Well, why not actually run it as my daily videos for MacMost? Um, so in, instead of telling people, oh, there's a course over here, go take it, it actually goes into my regular feed. And of course, since I was taking a vacation for two weeks, uh, it kind of fit really nicely. What a nifty idea. Yeah. Nifty idea. So <laughs> so I've been running those and we're in the we're just past the middle now of it. Um, and there's a link where I list like all of the uh, episodes and eventually all the links will uh, be live as each episode comes out. Um, and then um, I'll probably also put it in my courses site if, if people want to just do it in course format rather than looking at all the, the YouTube videos or videos at my site. So link to that. Cool. Well, that sounds like a good wrap up for a good episode. It's been too long and I'm looking forward to doing this again next week. Yep. Uh, the show notes for this week are over at tehpodcast.com slash teh139. If you've got a question or a comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast. And of course, you can always leave us a comment in the show notes page. As always, thank you for being here. Thanks for coming back after three weeks. And we will see you here again next week for real this time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>